Well, we are at uh, week five of a six-week sermon series uh, called Let the Redeemed of the Lord Say So. And we're talking about that theme of redemption or God's work of releasing us from bondage and delivering us into a space of liberty, that broad and open space that the, the Psalms speak about. And we're looking specifically at the 107th Psalm as a descriptor of four different metaphors of what redemption feels like. And that Psalm is just so beautiful because it invites the redeemed of the Lord, those who have experienced this freedom, to declare it, to in, in some way come out with their story and tell it to others. This is what redemption has felt like for me. And uh, the psalmist gives us those four wonderful metaphors. The, the first one we looked at was the, the kind of the, the deliverance from the wilderness, the deliverance from the uninhabited place, the desert, the dryness, into the, to the place of, that is filled with springs. The deliverance from the darkness of incarceration into the light of freedom. The deliverance from disease into uh, the freedom of, of healing and a fullness of, of health. And today we look at the, the whole idea of a, the metaphor of the deliverance from the storm, especially the storm at sea and the, the potential threat of shipwreck. And so uh, we'll look today, at the, again, I'll read the beginning of the psalm and then read verses uh, 23 through 32 is what we'll be dealing with today. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, those whom he redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from east and from the west, and from the north and from the south. Some went down to the sea in ships, doing business on the mighty waters. They saw the deeds of the Lord, his wondrous works in the deep. For God commanded and raised the stormy wind which lifted up the waves of the sea. They mounted up to heaven. They went down to the depths. Their courage melted away in their calamity. They reeled and staggered like drunkards and were at their wits' end. But then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he brought them out from their distress. He made the storm be still and the waves of the sea were hushed. And then they were glad because they had quiet, and God brought them into their desired haven. Let them thank the Lord for his steadfast love, for his wonderful works to humankind. Let them extol him in the congregation of the people and praise him in the assembly of the elders. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, invite us to look for your hand up from the various storms that we are enduring in these days. Invite us to look for that way out of that over which we have no control. Invite us to look to you. Help us to hear your voice in these minutes and respond inspired by your spirit to admit our need and to take your invitation to love. For we pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
I need to confess very clearly I am not a sailor, I am not a seaman. For my first five years in ministry, I was on a beach town, at a beach town in Southern California, actually a part of Southern California that didn't want to be known as Southern California, in Ventura, California. And I loved the ocean. I always have loved the ocean growing up in Southern California. But I discovered early on in the midst of the five years of this pastorate that as much as I wanted to enjoy those invitations that people gave me to come out on their boat for the afternoon, I never enjoyed them. And the biggest reason for that is, is that the slightest swell would begin a process in my brain that ultimately made me throw up. <laughs> and it was never really good to have the pastor retching over the side of your yacht. But that's what I did over and over again, hoping that this next time with the Dramamine patch or some other, you know, they had this little pressure thing that I could put on my wrist, all, none of that worked. I would just throw my guts out every single time I went out on a boat. So, you know, as a swimmer, I need to tell you, I love the water, but I find that I'd rather be in it than on top of it. I've never been out in a boat in a storm, obviously. Maybe that would cure me of this more subtle kind of motion sickness, but I've seen the effects of a storm. Our family went to Bay St. Louis, Mississippi after Hurricane Katrina and our church, University Presbyterian at the time was sending weekly mission trips of 10 or more people down to Bay St. Louis to help that area. And we stayed at First Presbyterian Church in Bay St. Louis, which happened to be on the highest ground on the coast. It was right on the coast, but but on the highest ground and only ended up having about two inches of water. And so it avoided the 30 foot flood surge that, that came with that, that literally when water and wind combine, you see the effects of a, of a hurricane and the storm surge. It's amazing because it literally destroyed brick buildings that were completely swept away and all that remained were the steps, the cement steps going up to where the front door once stood. The place was devastated. Water and wind and a storm surge has devastating power. And that devastating power of the hurricane is part of what the psalmist in Psalm 107 is giving witness to. It's that sense of being completely out of control. That awareness of the fact that if I'm going to get out of this, it's because something happens over which I have no influence. And all I can do is ride this out or let it take me. And what the picture is in Psalm 107 is of sailors being out of control. We need to know something about oceans and large bodies of water in, in the Hebrew cosmology of, of the Old Testament, that water pretty much almost always is the metaphor for chaos. <laughs> Even in the creation story in the first chapter of Genesis, you have the case because it's the ordering and boundarying of the waters that God does on the second day. 
God creates a dome in the midst of the waters, the waters above the earth and the waters below the earth. God creates a space. It doesn't talk about land at this point. It just talks about this creation of this dome that is protected from the waters. In other words, order is created out of chaos. I still remember from my Hebrew in in my first year of seminary that there's a Hebrew phrase that you know, when God and created the earth, it was without form and void is the way some English translations translate it. But the, the Hebrew is tohu vabohu, which means without visible form and without visible content. Chaos. Absolute chaos. So when God started his creation work, there was chaos. And God ordered it and he ordered the waters above and below. And water continues to be, and storms continue to be, that sense of chaos really throughout the Bible. And that's why we read two passages today about Jesus bringing calm in the midst of stormy waters. And that's a sign of his divinity in Matthew's gospel and in, and in Mark's gospel. There are, there are other stories in the other two gospels as well. But Jesus in Mark 4 that I read is he stills that storm, you know, wait, he's asleep in the midst of the storm. So unaffected by the chaos and then wakes up to still that storm when the disciples ask him whether or not he cares if they they are perishing. And what Psalm 107 does is it gives us a picture of a ship at sea and what one learns about God when one is on a ship at sea, talks about the danger literally of those who are in business on the waters, the sailors who are part of the great commercial stream in that Mediterranean region of the various empires that traded across those waters. It's this picture of God's wondrous works in the deep the storms, the wind, the waves, and the ships riding those waves or being tossed about by those waves speaks of mounting up to heaven and descending down to the depths. When the wave goes up, the ship rises up so high it does not appear that they are even on water at certain points. And when the wave comes out from underneath the ship, it is only clear that there is nothing but water and it looks like they're going into it. They're raised so high that the water disappears and they're brought so low as the wave collapses that they feel like they're going to be swallowed by it. And I love the way the psalm describes it. Their courage melts. Their courage melts. They look like drunkards and they're at their wits end. No stability, no sense of safety, no sense of where one can hold on. All one can do is ride it out. There's nothing to do, no control, and nothing to do but cry to the Lord and to admit one's powerlessness. The only hope at this point, as the psalmist tells the story, is in deliverance by some power greater than ourselves, some power greater than the chaos of the waters. 
And to experience this deliverance feels like, as the psalmist says, to be suddenly transferred from storm to calm. The waves become still and quiet, and the sailors are delivered into that safe haven. It's as if none of that was happening. And we know that in the midst of storms, it feels like destruction is upon us, and yet suddenly the storm passes, and then there is calm. The 124th Psalm is is one of my favorites. I think it describes this in, in another way. It describes what deliverance feels like. It says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when our enemies attacked us, then they would have swallowed us up alive their, when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Have you ever seen a bird struggling in a net and then suddenly get free and kind of fly up on a branch and go, glad that's over. At least that's the bubble I put above the bird's head. (laughs) That's what we're talking about when we're talking about deliverance. This sense of relief. We escaped. It didn't get us. It could have very easily gotten us, but it didn't. And it didn't only because of God. I know more than once I've shared with you that my uh, favorite spiritual discipline is to look at large bodies of water. To just sit on a bluff or somewhere on the shore and in this, at the beach, on the sand, whatever it might be, and to stare at large bodies of water. And I think that one of the reasons that I like doing this is that what these large bodies of water tell us is just how small we are. They help us to set our lives in perspective. The vastness and the power, the stillness and the peace of the sea kind of tells us that the sea has a a personality that we cannot harness or control or even predict that we have to let it be and we have to respect it. We have to make peace with it. Just talk to any seagoing kayak person and they will give you a lesson in this out in their little boats on the waters and talking about storms. I talked to one once who lived on the Chesapeake Bay, and it was an interesting conversation. Just how much respect they had for the fact that they were potentially engaging in something as recreation that might lead to their deaths if a storm comes up. The sea has a personality, so we have to make peace with it. And it's both a gentle personality because it allows us to float in it. Our buoyancy allows us to simply be there and and be upheld by it. 
but it also has complete power to snuff out our lives and to literally turn us into nothing and take us into a place where we just no longer exist, where no one ever finds our body. It's as if we weren't ever here. It's the difference between the 104th Psalm and the 69th Psalm. And I, I just want to read those, portions of, of each of them, not all of them. But the 104th Psalm ends with this lovely image, not quite ends, but almost ends with, O Lord, how manifold are your works. In wisdom you have made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. Yonder is the sea, great and wide. Creeping things innumerable are there. Living things both small and great. There go the ships. And Leviathan, in other words, whales, that you form to sport in it. This, this lovely image of this life-filled concoction that, that God has made that we get to recreate upon in these ships and that the whales get to sport in. And then the 69th Psalm, a very different picture of what is also true of the personality of the sea. Save me, O God, for the waters have come up to my neck. I sink deep in the mire where there is no foothold. I have come into deep waters and the flood sweeps over me. I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes grow dim with waiting for my God. In other words, I need to be saved, so do something right now. The sea can support and the sea can destroy. It tells us the truth of both our smallness and the Creator's bigness. But here's the thing about knowing those two things, our smallness and the Creator's bigness. It isn't just that God is big and we are small, so deal with it and buck up. It's like if you're a Monty Python fan, and I am, if you've seen the movie The Meaning of Life, there's this great scene where the priest is in front of this boys' school reading the litany that they're reading, the litany of praise, and the boys are just sort of mindlessly repeating after him. Monty Python, is the, that team is the best satirist of the church that I've ever seen. Uh, they, they just name some of our foibles in a way that feels overstated and almost blasphemous, but I can't help but see it as truth. Uh, but anyway, the, the, priest, the priest is up at the lectern and says, Oh God, you are so very big. Gosh, we're all real impressed down here. I think that's hilarious, but um, sounds like most of you think it's blasphemy because you haven't laughed at it. Um, but it, it is sort of blasphemous, right? And then the boys repeat the same line. You know, I don't think that's what God wants us to pray to him. Gee, we're all real impressed with you. We know you could snuff us out at any minute. It's not just that we need to know that God is big and we're small, it's that in God's bigness, God also stoops to our level to engage us. That we are both insignificant and significant all at the same time because of God's bigness. Our insignificance does not separate us from God's love. But God reaches to us nevertheless. He doesn't tolerate us. He reaches to us. 
And that's why that state of spirituality is in the faith journey is that state of significant insignificance for us. The gospel is, as Robert Farrar Capon says, something that makes the most sense to the littlest, the least, the last, the lost, and the dead. Those who know themselves to be insignificant. And those who understand that someone, something bigger than themselves needs to grab on to their outstretched hands if they're going to survive. Feeling small, knowing ourselves to be in need and out of control is a big part of growing into an awareness of what makes us truly big in God's scheme of things. It's what emboldens us to cry to the Lord in our trouble. It's what prepares us to receive the gift that only God can give us. It opens our heart to the open heart of God. And we so receive the embrace of the one who made us for relationship with himself and will not let us go. Let's pray. Lord, take us beyond the limits of our own stunted imaginations and help us to apprehend the truth that you are pursuing us and wish to apprehend us. To embrace us to yourself, to draw us up out of those mighty waters that would cover our heads. For we belong in body and soul, in life and in death, not to ourselves, but to you. So help us by your spirit to find that place and to rest in that safe haven, that calm harbor, knowing that there is nothing that can separate us from your love. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.